Our scripture reading for this morning is Colossians 3, verses 12 to 14. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a gr grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord has forgave you. And over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, thank you very much, Cassie, for reading the scripture passage for us. Great job. Thank you also, Brian, for leading us in prayer. Um, it is stiflingly hot in here. I do have a water bottle with me, and I apologize if I have to pause every now and then and take a sip. Um, we're definitely going to have to get our HVAC people in here to deal with the air conditioning. But anyhow, first world problems, as they say, right? Uh, last week, uh, we well, let me start with this. Uh, we're in the middle of a series, or we're closing, getting near to the end, frankly, of a series on uh, confession and forgiveness. We've been talking about the importance of these disciplines, uh, the importance of confessing our sin to God and to others, and the importance of forgiving others when they have sinned against us. And last week, uh, we talked about the danger of unforgiveness and how seriously God takes our spirit of unforgiveness. Uh, basically, the Bible says that if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you must forgive. There, there is no negotiation around that. Uh, it is an absolute must. There's a place uh, in Matthew chapter 6 where Jesus says this. This is after he teaches his disciples the Lord's Prayer. He says this, If you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sin, your Father will not forgive your sin. And we talked about last week how that's not a tit for tat. It's not, it's not quid pro quo here. It's not like God is saying, well, in order to receive my favor, you must be a forgiving person. No, rather what he's saying is, is that you haven't experienced my forgiveness if you don't pass that forgiveness on to other people. That was last week. And that's a tough challenge. That's a tough assignment. That's a tough thing that Jesus says because Man, oh man, sometimes it's awfully hard to forgive. How on earth do we do it? I mean, it's easy to forgive small slights and hurts. You know, uh, it's often you'll hear people say, I'm sorry, and someone will say in response, no problem. They won't even say, I forgive you. Or they'll say something like, it's okay, or don't worry about it. And what they're actually doing is, is they're saying this isn't really a significant uh, offense, but what happens when you've been hurt badly? When you've been hurt deeply? Uh, Ruth Graham, daughter of Billy Graham, wrote a book, in, uh, in Every Pew Sits a Broken Heart. And in that book, she recounts, it's a bit of an autobiography, and in that book, she recounts actually uh, the fact that her own husband committed adultery against her. And she was struggling with this and, and with, uh, he was repentant and he was sorry uh, and she was really struggling with the idea of forgiveness because she had been hurt so deeply and she actually wrote in her book this, what did forgiveness really mean? What did it look like? 
What was forgiveness? I did not know. Everyone seemed to have a definition. And then she goes on admitting that she knew one thing about forgiveness, and it was this. Forgiveness costs so much, she said. What we're going to do is we're going to see what forgiveness looks like from uh, God's word together. Because Jesus says, you know, you're supposed to forgive from your heart. That was in last week's text in Matthew 18. So it's not enough just to say the words. It has to come from the heart. Well, what does that mean for it to come from the heart? Our text says in verse 14, it says, uh, excuse me, uh, where does it say that? He forgave all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. What on earth does that mean? That was Colossians 2, verse 14. What does that actually mean? Well, as we heard in the scripture reading, we're supposed to forgive as God forgave us. Forgive one another as the Lord forgave you. Now, when you hear that, you might think, well, I guess what I'm supposed to do is I'm supposed to forgive um, because uh, God forgave me first. In other words, just like he forgave me, I'm supposed to forgive others. And there's some truth to that. That's, that is true. Uh, because God forgave us, we should forgive others. Paul actually uh, uh, specifies that in Ephesians chapter 4 when he says in verse 32, he says, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. Just like God forgave you, you must forgive others. But that's not all he's talking about here in Colossians. When he says, forgive as the Lord forgave you, what he's saying is we must forgive God in the same way that God forgives. In other words, there's a, there's a divine pattern for forgiveness that you and I are supposed to follow. And that's what we're going to consider today. We're going to consider this pattern. We're going to look at three things. We're going to see that forgiveness has a price, that forgiveness has a process, and that forgiveness has a purpose. Those are the three things we're going to see as we unpack how we forgive others. Uh, first of all, Forgiveness has a price. Now, in our passage, where it says in verse 13 that we're supposed to forgive as the Lord forgave us, it's this Greek word, charizomai. And it has as its root the word charis, which is the Greek word for, you got it, grace. And grace, as we have said time and time again, is God's undeserved favor towards us. It is his kindness that he shows to us, his mercy that he shows to us that we have not earned and that we do not deserve in any way. And so forgiveness is a gift that we grant to the offender. It's not something they earn. It's not something they deserve like we talked about last week. But that's not the whole story. There's another Greek word that often gets translated as forgive, and it's this word, aphiemi, aphiemi. And what it means is to let go. It means to release. It means to remit or cancel. It means that debts are paid. 
And that's the word that Jesus actually used in the passage that we studied last week. When you put these two ideas together, you discover that forgiveness is gracious, but it's not free. Let me say that again. Forgiveness is gracious. It is a free gift that we give to another person, but it's not free. It actually costs something. When, when someone sins against you, they incur a debt, an emotional debt, a, a psychological debt, a, a spiritual debt. They owe you in some way, shape, or form. And somebody has to pay that debt. That debt can't remain. Just like, uh, you know, if your child breaks a window in your home because they threw a stone at it or a ball through it or something like that, the window is broken and the debt has been incurred. And in order to repair the window, somebody's got to pay for the window. Either the child pays for the window or the parent pays for the window. And the same happens, the same thing happens when you're wronged by someone. Who pays the debt? Do you make them pay or do you pay? And forgiveness means two things. It means, first of all, you don't hold that other person liable for the thing that they've done and you commit to paying the debt yourself. See, when you're sinned against, you can either take payments or you can make payments. Those are your options. Taking payments means maybe you ream them out. Maybe you give them the cold shoulder. Maybe you do something to, their, to uh, upset them in return for what they've done to you. Maybe you gossip about uh, what they've done to you to other people. Maybe, maybe you just dwell on it. You think about it and you mull it over in your mind. You know, when you do that, what you think you're doing actually is that is, is, is you're making that sense of debt that they owe you. You're, you're making it go down. You've heard the, the phrase, haven't you? Even the score. That's what you think you're doing. You think you're evening the score. And even if you don't act out against them, you're still doing it because uh, in your heart, you harbor bitterness, you harbor anger, and you almost, you almost practice a kind of voodoo against them. I mean, you don't have a little doll that you're sticking with pins, but you're thinking to yourself, boy, you know, it would be really good if they would get their comeuppance. You know, if somebody would put them in their place. You're almost rooting for their failure. But to forgive means that you don't take payments. Rather, you make payments. There is a price that needs to be paid, and forgiveness means that you are willing to pay the price yourself. Okay. How do you do it? How do you make those payments? This is point two. Forgiveness has a process. Again, Paul says, forgive as the Lord forgave you. Well, how did God forgive us? How did God deal with the debt that we owed him? How did God bridge the divide between him and us because of our sin? Well, he sent Jesus Christ. He, it's the gospel, right? What do we say all the time? 
Jesus lived the life I should have lived and died the death I should have died. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 21 says, He who knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God. He took that, he took that on himself. See, to forgive... What am I trying to say here? Oh, oh yeah. The process begins with commitment. You see, forgiveness is not, first of all, an emotion, but a commitment. It is a conscious decision not to take those payments that you might feel you rightly deserve and are justified in taking. If you look at verse 12 of our text, it says, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved. So the price that God paid in order to cover the debt was the life death of his, life and death of his son. He died the, 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 the death that you and I deserve to, to die, and then he rose again to new life. Okay? But it began with a commitment. It says in verse 12 that we are God's chosen people. We didn't choose him. He chose us. In the mystery of his pleasure and will, he decided to come down and do something about the problem between us and him. And so when God forgave us, he made a commitment. He chose us for himself. And when you forgive, you have to decide and make a commitment not to make that person pay. I have heard it said, friends, you know, I've heard it. I just can't forgive them. I'm so angry. The person is letting their emotions guide their decisions. And you know what? The answer to that issue is you're angry because you refuse to forgive. You see, we cannot simply let our emotions and our desires dictate our commitments. We have to let our commitments lead our desires. It's a commitment. So the process begins with a commitment. Okay. What does it mean not to make payment or take payments from someone? Ken Sandy wrote a great book called uh, Peacemakers. It's not the only book on forgiveness, but it is a good one. Uh, and he says you make three promises. Here's how you make payments rather than take payments. Three promises. He says, first of all, you promise not to dwell on this issue anymore. In other words, you promise not to bring it up to yourself. You don't brood. You don't lick your wounds. You don't lay awake at night replaying the tape over and over in your mind of how you've been wronged and how you've been slighted. And when your mind tries to do that, because sometimes that happens, your mind begins to run and you, you stop and you say, no, I forgave that person. Sometimes you hear people say, well, I'll forgive, but I'll never forget. I'll tell you what they don't mean when they say that. When they don't, what they don't mean is that they will not erase it from their memory. Because nobody actually expects a person. When you've been hurt deeply, okay, certainly we, there's all kinds of little offenses that we experience over the course of a week that, that simply just disappear in the air and, 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 and fade away from our memories. But when you've been hurt absolutely deeply, nobody is expecting you to erase that experience from your memory. Just like God, when he says, I will remember your sins no more, like we heard in the time of confession. He's not saying, 
Oh, you sinned? Oh, I didn't know that. I totally forgot. He's God. He's omniscient. He knows absolutely everything. What it means to not remember means you won't replay the tape in your mind. And when someone says, I won't forget, what they're saying is, I'm going to continue replaying the tape in my mind. And friends, you will poison yourself if you do that. You must make that first promise that every time the devil tries to remind you of what that person did to you, you say, no, I will not think about it. I will not meditate on it. I will not suck on it like a piece of hard candy, savoring the self-righteousness that comes with feeling offended. I've forgiven. That's the first promise. Second promise, you don't bring it up to them. You promise not to bring it up to them. Sometimes we we like to use uh, people's sins against us as ammunition for the future. The next time a problem arises, we want to bring it up. We want to haul it out of the closet. We want to say, do you remember what happened here? Now, don't misunderstand. People might be saying, well, are you just saying the whole let's pretend this never happened kind of thing? Are you suggesting that we we sweep it under the rug kind of thing? No, not at all. What you need to remember is the difference between punishment and consequences. Forgiveness never punishes, but sometimes forgiveness maintains consequences. Take addicts, for example. I've been an addict, so I know. What addicts do is they lie. Addicts lie. They lie to hide their behavior in order to protect their addiction because they don't want to face it. Now, let's say you know someone who's an addict and they've come to see the error of their ways and they're repenting of their sin and they're telling you, I'm so sorry that I've been lying to you. And there's been countless times where they've done that. But they finally own up to it and they say, I'm sorry for all the lies that I've, I've said to you. And, and, and you forgive them. You truly forgive them. But you know what? You still have to treat them as an addict. The problem is still there. Simply by virtue of your forgiveness, they are not cured of their addiction. And because they've lied to you, they've, they've destroyed trust and that needs to be rebuilt. If you just trust again foolishly and naively right away, in fact, that's not a very loving thing to do. If you want to restore that person, you have to to encourage them to be trustworthy and develop that trustworthiness, and then you have to test it. But if you're not trusting them simply because you want to hurt them, well, then you're not restoring them properly, and that's punishing them. So the second promise is that you won't bring it up to them. And then the third promises that you won't bring it up to others. And this simply means you won't gossip. Now, we, we, we like to be subtle about it. We don't, people don't want to be seen as a gossip. So what we do is, is we gossip, but we do it under the guise of warning others about someone and their character. Because we want to protect them from being hurt in the same way as the as you've been hurt by this person. But you see, in the Bible, gossip is not just a false report about people. It's not, gossip is not just a form of lying. In, in fact, it's, it's a bad report, according to the Bible. When you take even truthful things about someone and you say them to another person in such a way as to diminish their character in the eyes of your hearer, you're gossiping. 
And when you commit to the process of forgiveness, you're making the promise that you won't do that. Now, if you do these things, promise not to bring it up to yourself, promise not to bring it up to them, promise not to bring it up to God, or sorry, to others, you will feel the price. You will feel the cost. The first time you have an opportunity to dwell on it because maybe they've done something else to you that kind of hurt you and it it wants to bring back the memories and you say, I won't. Or the first time you have an opportunity to run them down in front of others or the first time you have an opportunity to hit them with a sarcastic remark into response to something they've said and you don't, ow. It, It actually hurts. Almost, no, maybe not physically. But it hurts. Why does it hurt? Why does it hurt you to not respond? Because you are making payments. You're absorbing the debt. You're taking it in. And this is why, friends, you will have to, when you've been hurt deeply, when you've been betrayed, let's say, and somebody reveals something about their character that you never expected, and it's completely blindsided you, you will have to resolve every day to forgive that person. It will be an ongoing process. This is why Dietrich Bonhoeffer said that forgiveness is a form of suffering and there's no way around it. There's no way around it. Well, then why go through all that? Why bother? Well, this is our last point. Forgiveness has a purpose, friends. And that purpose is reconciliation. The gospel is about reconciliation. And if I say, I forgive you, I even pray for you, but I don't want anything to do with you, I plan on severing this relationship completely because of what you've done, that's punishment. That's not forgiveness. Now, some of you may be thinking to yourself right now, but you have no idea, preacher man, what you're talking about. You don't know how deeply I've been hurt by this person. I've been betrayed. And really, there is probably almost no other painful experience that we can go through worse than betrayal. To be betrayed by a loved one, a spouse or a parent, to have our trust in them betrayed. And you might think, they have hurt me so bad. How in the world can you say that? But listen, forgive as the Lord forgave you, what if God said, I forgive you. Paul Vandenbrink, I forgive you. But I don't want anything to do with you. See, the whole point of forgiveness, the whole purpose of forgiveness is some form of reconciliation. One author in his book, Embodying Forgiveness, put it this way. People are mistaken if they think of Christian forgiveness as primarily an absolution from guilt. 
That's the statement, oh, you're forgiven. Don't feel guilty about it anymore. It's gone. It's forgotten. It's taken away. Continuing the quote, the purpose of forgiveness is the restoration of communion, the restoration and reconciliation of brokenness. See, the whole forgiveness project is about repairing what's been broken. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. God forgave us for the purpose of bringing us back into relationship with him. Paul, in Colossians 2, just a a little further up, actually Colossians 1, a little further up, he says that we were alienated from God. And God's forgiveness is meant to take away the alienation and bring about communion. And that's why I've added a fourth promise to Ken Sandy's three promises we talked about. And it's this, I will seek to restore our personal relationship as far, as as much as I can. (laughs) Let me try that again. I will seek to restore our personal relationship to the best of my ability. Now, a couple of things to remember. I have worked with people who are hurt very, very deeply by others, like to the core. And they have said, I can't. I cannot go back to how it was. I don't want you to misunderstand. That's not actually what I'm saying. When I say I will seek to restore our personal relationship, I'm not taking out uh, and minimizing the fact that, that a relationship may have been broken so deeply that it can't be restored to the same place it was. Take a vase, for example. Let's say there's a vase on this table and the vase falls onto the floor and it shatters and it breaks. And so I pick up all the pieces and I very carefully figure out how they go back together and I glue it back together. Now the vase has been restored, but it's not the same. There are still many evidences of the brokenness of the vase that it went through before I put it back together. You can see the scars of the brokenness. And this side of glory, friends, there will always be scars that are are the consequences and the results of the brokenness of our relationships. It's possible to restore the relationship, but that doesn't mean the relationship will necessarily be the exact same. That's the first thing to remember. And the second thing to remember is this. Healing takes time. You know, on on TV, sometimes they show these buildings, uh, massive apartment buildings, sometimes even skyscrapers, right? And uh, those, those skyscrapers took years to build. Usually it takes like forever to build the foundation and then the rest of it goes up relatively quickly, but it can take one, two, three, five years to build one of these things. But when they decide to tear it down, they put all these charges kind of strategically somewhere around the base. And then they hit that button and the whole thing comes down in seconds. And sometimes people hurt us so badly that the entire relationship seems to to be torn down in no time flat. And the prospect of rebuilding could take a really, really long time. And this is another reason, friends, 
why you have to make forgiveness a commitment first because when you have been hurt very, very deeply, you are going to go through emotional ups and downs, times when you're like, I do want to restore this relationship and times where you say, they hurt me so badly and deeply, I never want to see them again. And that's why you need the commitment. And you need sometimes to make that commitment every day. Now, by the way, before I close, let me just say to you, this is also why the Bible calls you to forgive those who repent. We're going to talk more about this next week, but I don't want you to get the impression that you are obligated to forgive everybody, whether they're sorry or not. I don't believe the Bible teaches that, and we're going to see next week. I think the Bible clearly says that, that you are responsible to forgive those who have confessed and repented of their sins, but you are, you are called to love everybody, not necessarily forgive everybody. More on that next week. But when we do this, when we commit to this process, we are actually reenacting, we are living out the gospel in our lives. We are a living message of the reconciliation that we believe. Paul Tripp puts it this way. The shattered relationship between the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit at the cross, that's the gospel, provides the basis for our reconciliation. No other relationship ever suffered more than what Father, Son, and Holy Spirit endured when Jesus hung on the cross and cried, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Listen to this, friends. Jesus was willing to be the rejected son so that our families would know reconciliation. Jesus was willing to become the forsaken friend so that we could have loving relationships. Jesus was willing to be the rejected Lord so that we could live in loving submission to one another. Jesus was willing to be the forsaken brother so that we could have godly relationships. Jesus was willing to be the crucified king so that our communities would experience peace. Forgive one another, friends, just as the Lord forgave you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your forgiveness. And we pray that you will make us forgiving people. It is not something that we can do on our own, O oh Lord. It is something that only you can do in us. You can make us forgiving people when you empower us by your Holy Spirit to be like Jesus. Father, the world needs reconciliation so badly between races, between classes, between genders. And the church needs it too. Make us ministers of reconciliation, Father, in our relationships for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.